Uh, but I want to start off while you're turning to Acts chapter 4. I want to start off with another verse of Scripture. Paul says this to the church at Philippi, Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That's what Paul told the church at Philippi. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. I've told you this before, but I, I want to tell you again, a lot of times, you know, uh, when I finish up a series or when I finish up a book of the Bible, Marty will ask me, uh, what are you preaching on next? And, and I don't know if it's that she just wants to read it as much as she wants to know what it's about, because here's what she always says, when you preach about something, God does something, and He prepares you for that. And sometimes it's hard. <laughs> sometimes it's very difficult. Um, I want to ask you a question this morning. When you face a challenge or when you are in the midst of a challenge, how do you respond? When you face a challenge in this life, when you are surrounded by some challenging circumstances in this life, and that can look like whatever it looks like, how do you respond to the challenge? How do you respond to the challenges in this life. And look, that challenge might be a physical challenge. Uh, It might be an emotional challenge. It might be a relationship challenge. Uh, It might be a work challenge. Uh, It might be a spiritual challenge. But when you face a challenge in this life, and, and by the way, how many of you have faced a challenge or two in this life? Anybody? Yeah, if you're breathing air, you probably should raise your hand. So you might not know this, but most of you probably do. Uh, I finished my second marathon yesterday morning up in Nashville. I, that's okay. You, thank you for that. But, but that was my second marathon in Nashville. And uh, Nashville looks a lot different than Mangum. I was telling Sherry this morning, you know, I've been to Nashville a bunch of times. I've taken our youth group up there to serve in Infuge several times and been with Brother Jeremy with the youth And I didn't realize when I was walking and when I was driving that Nashville had so many hills, okay? But when you got to run 26 miles around and through Nashville, there's a lot of hills, okay? I I trained hard for this marathon, and I did the best that I could with my um, local environment. But I was challenged in a new way in Nashville yesterday morning. Not only that... uh, it was very crowded. So this is the first marathon I've run with thousands of runners. I believe there were a little over 2,600 marathon runners uh, with another 3,000 half marathon runners all running at the same time on, you know, small stretches of highway. And uh, when I hit mile six, we were coming down a hill, and it was already hard, you know, to slow yourself down coming down a hill. I, I, and we were moving into a curve to turn, and there were a lot of people around me, Okay. Um, and I was moving, you know, pretty quick at that time, and I was, I'd moved around a few people to get out in front, and there was a guy behind me, and totally by accident, he stepped on my left foot, and I, he tripped me, and I hit the ground, busted my knees open, I busted my elbow open, um, I have a, a couple of rocks in my hand that I'm going to dig out a little later, um, it, it was, it was, it was hard, uh, that, that was a challenge, uh, in the moment, 
And to be honest with you, I don't even, I didn't even think. I just got up and he was trying to apologize. And I said, just run, man, just run. Let's run together. And so we ran for about three miles together. And eventually he kind of fell behind a little bit and I kept on running, but I met him at the finish line uh, after he finished and we hugged and, um, you know, congratulated each other. But I'm going to just tell you, I faced some challenges yesterday that were very hard. Um, and I'm not going to lie to you. There were a couple of times I wanted to quit. I just wanted to quit. And uh, I had so many people texting me while I was running. My connected family group on Wednesday night, I had a couple of them texting me. My wife and my kids. Katie Beth was texting me verse after verse. I was like, I know the Bible, stop. I had music in my, in my, my ear pods. I, I, I had music, and the songs kept going down, and people were, you can do it, Brother Jeff, keep going. Uh, this verse, that verse. I had deacons texting me, and, and I'm going to be honest with you. Had, had that not have happened, I think I would have quit. I think I would have quit so many people. I was so thankful for the people that were helping me get through some very tough challenges that, to be honest with you, I did not really prepare well for Uh, But I crossed that finish line, and I praised God for it, and I I sat on that ground, and I just looked up in the sky and said, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for a chance to run. Thank you, God, for a finish line crossed. And I said, thank you, God, for the people in my life. In Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22, we read this last week. Peter and John stood boldly before the religious leaders. They were being persecuted. They were being told, stop preaching Jesus. Stop teaching Jesus or else. The religious leaders looked at them and they saw something different. As a matter of fact, the religious leaders recognized some very important things about Peter and John. Number one, they noticed they were courageous. They had already told them once before, stop preaching Jesus, stop teaching Jesus. They had put Jesus in the ground and thought Jesus was done, right? And and so they noticed that Peter and John were pretty courageous. They're preaching this Jesus that we crucified, that we put in the ground. So they noticed they were courageous. They noticed that they were unschooled. These guys are speaking, and they haven't been trained to speak like we have been trained. They noticed that they were ordinary men. They were dressed like everybody else. They didn't have on the, the pretty robes and the tassels hanging, showing their, their, you know, their power and their position. They noticed they were courageous, unschooled, and ordinary. But most importantly, and the thing that made all the difference, was they noticed that these men had been with Jesus. There was no mistake that could be made in that. These men had been with with Jesus. It was Jesus who made the difference in their lives. You see, through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God baptized these apostles, empowered, filled, and empowered, and enabled these apostles to stand up no matter what the circumstances look like. To stand up and boldly proclaim Jesus. Yes, they may have been unschooled. Yes, they may have been ordinary. But because of Jesus, they were able to do something that was extraordinary. Extraordinary. They healed a lame man. And that lame man was proof that the risen Lord Jesus Christ was still alive and still working. And I love this. 
uh, after their useless threats, the religious leaders said, we can't do nothing to them because if we do, uh, this crowd of people who are praising God will come back on us. It, it, it's peculiar to me. It's kind of ironic. These Pharisees and Sadducees, these religious leaders, they thought that they had so much power over the people, but what we find over and over again in the Scripture is that it was the people who had power over them. Over and over again, they are scared of the crowds. And so Peter and John are released, and they go back to the believers in Jerusalem. And what we're going to see today uh, in this passage of Acts chapter 4 is that the believers were together in prayer. They were together in prayer. And I'm going to tell you, this is how we as the church should move forward in our community and in our world. We should be a people joined together by the Holy Spirit of God, and we should be defined by our prayer for one another and with one another. I'm just going to tell you, yesterday, the only way I ran and the only way I made it was through prayer. I knew I could hear it in, in my ears as I was running and I was hurting and I was struggling. I could hear it in my ears, praying for you, brother. Love you, brother. Love you, daddy. Praying for you. And I'm just going to tell you, even though we may have been separated by a few hundred miles, we were not separate. Me and my immediate family and me and my church family. And I'm going to tell you, I was empowered. I was empowered by the Spirit of God to run the race that God set in front of me and to finish that race. And yes, I know it's just a physical little race and it's just a, a little blip, a little thing in my life, but it meant something to me spiritually. To know that something I wanted to do and God gave me the ability to do meant something to other people enough that they would pray for me and with me. I'm going to tell you, that empowers me and that enables me to face the other challenges in my life the same way. So no matter what challenge you face, physical, emotional, relational, spiritual, you can face it together in Christ. And you ought to face it by praying. Watch what happens in this passage. Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. That's very important. They went back to their own people, their family, and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, that's the, their family, the people that they belonged to, when they heard this, they raised their voices, and look at these three words, together in prayer. Before they made any plans, before they started complaining and moaning and groaning, right? Before anything else, three words, together in prayer. It says they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And look at their prayer. Because really most of this passage is their prayer. Their prayer says, Sovereign Lord, You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against the anointed one. Indeed, 
Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And look at verse 31. After they prayed. It doesn't say after they planned. It doesn't say after they prepared. It says after they prayed. The place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all, don't miss that little three-letter word, A-L-L, all. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. What an awesome passage of Scripture in a very difficult time, in a very challenging time in the face of the apostles and the early church who had begun meeting together. So first of all, let's look at this. The apostles' response to the challenge in their life was to gather together. Don't miss that. Right here at the very beginning, it says they immediately, as soon as they were released, they didn't run away from the challenge. They ran to their people. Do you see that? Their response to the challenge they faced was to gather together. And listen, this wasn't just a physical gathering. This was a spiritual gathering. This was an emotional gathering. Peter and John went back to their own people, the church, the early church, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who were united by the Holy Spirit of God. So when you face a challenge, right, I ask you this question, how do you respond to the challenge? How did Peter and John respond first and foremost to the challenge they faced. They got back with their people. They got back with their people, right? It says they gathered together with their own people. And when they gathered with their own people, how did the church respond? Because it says they told them everything, right? Let me tell y'all. Can you just imagine Peter and John? Let me tell you what the chief priest just told us. Let me tell you what they did to us. Hey, listen, they flogged them. They, they, they beat them. They, they, they did all kinds of things to these early apostles uh, in this early church. And so Peter and John said, let me tell you what they did. And how did the church respond? Here it is. The church's response to their challenge was to pray together. To pray together. You see, the apostles and the church didn't run away in fear. They didn't try to isolate themselves. Peter and John didn't try to isolate themselves and not get other people involved. No, no, no. They prayed together. They prayed out loud. I believe that. They prayed out loud. I believe they prayed with one another. I believe they prayed for one another. I'm going to tell you, I really believe one of the the problems we have as Christ followers and even as churches is we don't pray enough. We, we don't pray enough as individuals, and we certainly don't pray enough together as a church body. We need to value prayer. The early church valued prayer. They modeled the value of prayer in their lives. I, I've told you this before. I love Paul David Tripp's uh, devotional. It's called New Morning Mercies. 
And in one of his devotionals, this is what Paul David Tripp says about prayer. He says, prayer is abandoning. It's abandoning my addiction to other glories and delighting in the one glory that is truly glorious, the glory of God. Prayer is our worship and our surrender to God. Prayer is where I surrender myself to the agenda of agendas, and it is God's agenda. I love that, right? Prayer is where I surrender myself to the agenda of all agendas, and it's God's agenda. So many times when we pray, you know what we're doing? We're praying that God would get on our page. God, do this for me. God, do this because. God, do this. God, do that. And and the center of the prayer is me. It's us. Paul David Tripp says, hey, listen, when we pray, we, we pray to worship God, and we pray to surrender to God. And when we pray, we're not praying for our agenda. We're praying for God's agenda. That's prayer, and I believe that's how this early church prayed. As a matter of fact, let's look at their prayer. Let's look at it. Number one, they prayed to sovereign God. Did you see that? The first two words, sovereign Lord. They prayed to sovereign God. They recognized right off the bat in their prayer who they were praying to, almighty God, sovereign God, creator God, the God who is, who has been, who always will be. They prayed to God, right, sovereign, which means he can do what he wants, when he wants, where he wants, how he wants, and why he wants. Immediately, they are in surrender in their prayer. Sovereign Lord, sovereign Lord, almighty God, we are in surrender to you. We know who you are. We we know what you have done, what you are doing, and what you can and will do. Listen, our God is bigger than anything or anyone we face in this life. Can I say that again? Our God, sovereign God, is bigger than anything or anyone we face in this life. How many times have we quit in the midst of a challenge in this life? How many times? How many times have we quit? Quit on God? Quit on family, quit on church, quit on school, quit on job. How many times have we quit in the midst of a challenge? Because we think, what's the point? Who who can help me? Who can help this situation? So we just turn around and go in a different direction. I think so many times we forget who God is and what God can do. God is sovereign, and so they prayed to sovereign God. I love this. They also prayed the Scriptures. I I, I tell people all the time, I love it when you pray and you quote Scripture while you're praying. I love it. I I try to practice that. I try to do that much in my life. They prayed the Scriptures. Did you see it? They actually quoted God's Word, Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. They quoted the Scripture that David, their father David, spoke. And see, I believe this. I believe praying God's word is a reminder to us all that if God says it, God will do it. So when we are praying scriptures, it's not so much that we're telling God what his word says. (laughs) He wrote it. 
He don't need us to tell him what it says. But when we're praying to God and we're quoting scripture, I believe it's more to remind us that God said it, and if God said it, he will do it. God is the promise keeper. When he makes a promise, he keeps it. And so when we pray the scriptures, what we're doing is we're remembering the scriptures. And we're reminding ourselves of the truth of not only who God is, but the truth of what God says. What God says to us, what God says about us, and what God says for us. So how did the early church pray? They prayed to sovereign God. They prayed the scriptures. And this is so important. It's so important. And I'm trying to get under this. They prayed for God's purposes and God's power. They prayed for God's purposes and God's power. Notice that they didn't pray from a selfish desire or a selfish motive. They didn't say, oh God, get us out of this. That's not what they said. They they didn't even pray for their own protection. They they didn't pray for safety. You know what they prayed for? They prayed for God to know their circumstances and for God to enable them and empower them to keep on preaching. Have you noticed that in that passage? How many times have we prayed, Oh God, get me out of this. Oh God, please rescue me from this. Oh God, please save me from this. God, give me safety. And and listen, I don't want to minimize that because I realize it's in context. But notice, these guys were threatened. Their lives were threatened. They could have been killed. If they killed Jesus, what would stop them from killing Peter and John? Or any of these ordinary people? They didn't pray, oh, keep us safe. They didn't pray, oh, move us from this spot to another spot where we can preach and nobody will, nobody will come against us. No, that's not what they prayed. They prayed that God would know their circumstances and empower them and enable them to keep on keeping on. And that is so important. They prayed for God to keep on healing people, for God to keep on working in people through the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you why. The church right here in Acts chapter 4 was surrendered to the agenda of agendas. That's what they were. They were surrendered to God's agenda. God, if this is where you want us, okay. God, if you want the religious leaders to threaten our lives, okay. We're not going anywhere. We're not running because this is where you want us to be. So God, we trust you. You know what they're doing to us. You know our circumstances. So God, you enable us to just keep on doing your your plan, your purpose. You, You enable us to keep on preaching. This was so good. And so the church, right, Peter and John, they gathered with their people. They prayed together. So we see the response, right? How do you respond to your challenge in this life, your challenges in this life? Because I know they're multiple. How do you respond to your challenges? We see how Peter and John responded to their challenge. We see how the church responded to their challenge because they incorporated it as their own. Right? They incorporated it as their own. Let me tell you something else. So yesterday morning when I was running, I've never dealt with cramps before. Right? Running long distances, I've never dealt with that. I don't remember exactly what mile it was. I want to say somewhere around 17 or 18 as I was getting these texts, right? Um, 
I texted my family, my, my, my wife and my four kids. And I just reached up to my watch and I said, please pray for me because I am cramping and it hurts. I mean, knots in my legs, all over, my calves. I mean, it, it was literally like I didn't know if I was going to be able to pick my leg up from one step to the next. So how did I respond in that challenge? All I knew how. All I knew what to do. It wasn't to quit. It was, please pray. Right? Please pray. And I'm going to tell you something. I can't make this up. My cramps went away. Katie sent me a scripture. Marty said, pray. And Jonah said, you got this, Dad? I mean, Jacob, France, they just, they just immediately responded. And I knew that they were praying, not just for me. They were praying with me because they knew I was listening. And I'm going to tell you something. God did it. God did it. He, he, he did it. Listen to me. When you pray, God responds. When you pray, God responds. Now, you may say, well, he's too quiet. Or you might say, he didn't respond in time. But I'm going to tell you something. When you pray, God responds. God responds. Look at God's response here. This is a pretty powerful response, by the way. And it won't be the first time he, he does a little shaking and rattling, okay? Because he's going to do it again a little later. But his response to the church's prayer was to shake their meeting place. Did you see that? It says the place where they were began to shake. I, I love this. And here's why I love this. Notice that the people themselves were not trembling and shaking in fear. No, it was the place they were that was shaking. You want to know why? I believe God settled their hearts. I believe God settled their minds. I believe God began to speak to them. And I believe God showed them what he was about to do. He was about to turn the world upside right. You're probably thinking, wait, don't you mean upside down? No, the world was already upside down. Kind of like it's turned right now. A little upside down, right? People saying they're telling the truth when it's actually a lie. And people don't know the difference because they don't know what the truth is, so they'll fall for the lie. Well, see, when their world was upside down, God showed them right then and there, we're fixing to turn this world upside right. And so he shook the place. He, he didn't shake them. He settled them. He, in, he empowered them. He filled them. He enabled them. I, I love this. God's response to the church was to shake the place and settle the child. That's what he did. And it was all in the name of Jesus. And not only did he respond by shaking the place and settling them, look at this. God's response to the church was to fill all of them, right? All of them with the Holy Spirit and enable them to speak the word boldly. That's God's response to their prayer. See, they were on God's agenda they were focused on God's purposes and God's plans and they removed self and God did something incredible. God did something incredible. He poured His Spirit into them, filling them and enabling them to keep on speaking boldly even when people said, if you don't shut up, we're going to kill you. If you don't shut up, we're going to put you in jail. They just kept on preaching. Once again, we see the promise of God, right? The promise of God manifested in the lives of his children. 
I'm going to tell you, that's what our world needs to see today. Right? That's what our world needs to see today. That's what our schools need to see. That's what our workplaces need to see. They need to see God's children being filled with His Spirit and empowered and enabled to do incredible things. Extraordinary things. And so when people ask you, how did you do that? You can say, God did that. I prayed. Other people prayed. We prayed for each other. We prayed with each other. We prayed, we prayed, we prayed, and God responded. Dr. Tony Evans says this in his commentary. He says, these people had already received the Holy Spirit of God in Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. We've already read that. But a Christian who is indwelt by the Spirit of God can be powerfully filled by the Spirit for bold proclamation at different times. This is the kind of boldness the church needs today. This is the kind of boldness we ought to pray for today. This is the kind of boldness that God makes available to us today. The absence, listen to this, this is Dr. Tony Evans now, he's a great preacher, a man of God. He says the absence of such boldness indicates the absence of the Spirit's filling in the Christ follower's life. Think about that for a minute. God, I can't do this. God, I'm scared. God, nope, not me. The absence, right, of the boldness of God is an indicator of the absence of the Holy Spirit's filling in your life. So when you feel like you can't speak the name of Jesus, when you feel like you can't witness for Jesus, when you feel like you can't testify for Jesus, that's not God's fault. That's not God's fault. Have you been praying? Have you been praying individually? Have you been praying with your family? Have you been praying with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Because if you pray for God to fill you boldly, to proclaim Jesus, I'm going to tell you something. God will fill you with the Spirit so that you can proclaim Jesus. Because that's our purpose. Our purpose in this life is to glorify God. Our purpose in this life is to magnify Jesus Christ, the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And, And so... If you don't experience the filling of the Holy Spirit and the holy boldness to do what God created you to do and to say what God tells you to say, maybe you haven't prayed. Maybe you haven't prayed together. Maybe you haven't surrendered in prayer to the agenda of agendas, God's agenda. Because that's when the Holy Spirit took over. Surrender. Worship. God, it's you, not me. God, it's your plans, your purposes, not my plans, not my purposes. The Bible says he shook the ground and then he filled them all so that they could preach the name of Jesus, speak boldly the name of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you something. We fix and see it. You stick with me. You keep coming Sunday after Sunday, Lord willing, and we're going to see some Holy Spirit boldness. Not just from the apostles, but from the church. All of them, because they were all filled. So I want to ask you again, how will we respond to the challenges we face in this world? And here's the truth. One way or the other, we respond. One way or the other, we respond. 
to the challenges we face in this life? Will we choose to gather together and pray together when we face a challenge? Again, I believe the mistake I make many times when I face a challenge is that I hide. I hide from it. Or I hide the challenge from you. Hide the challenge from the ones who can pray with me and pray for me. I believe that's one of the biggest mistakes we make with our challenges. We want to hide it from everybody. I believe sometimes the mistake we make is that we run away from it, thinking it's not going to catch up with us. You can't run away from the challenges of this life. They're going to find you. Every corner, they're going to find you. Every turn, every up, every down, every turn, there will be a challenge. (laughs) I'm telling you, you can't run away from it. So will we gather together? Will we pray together? I wonder... When we face a challenge in this life, will we, will we spend more time complaining or will we spend more time praying? Will we spend more time complaining or more time praying? Notice in this passage, and you can go back and look at it, but notice in this passage, there is not one complaint. Not one. Not one complaint. These guys have just been put in jail. These guys have been threatened, and nowhere in this passage right here do we see a complaint. You know what we see? Worship and prayer. Worship and prayer. That's all we see. So are we going to choose to moan and groan about our challenge, or are we going to choose to pray? Not just pray, but pray together. Don't forget that. Pray together. See, that's my next question. Will we choose to embrace the unity, right, that has been established by the Holy Spirit of God in us? Will we truly understand and believe that God brought us together for such a time as this? To pray together, to walk together, to move forward together. Will we embrace the unity of the Spirit or will we reject it? Verse 31 tells us they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is one. It wasn't a different Holy Spirit in in different people. It was one Holy Spirit and all these people, and that's what brought them together. Together in prayer. Together in worship. Together in purpose. Verse 24 tells us they raised their voices together in prayer to God. That's unity. And what we see is that the unity established by the Holy Spirit, right, it is something that they can express. And that's what we're going to start looking at moving forward. So next Sunday you come We're going to look at the unity that was established by the Holy Spirit. Next Sunday, we're going to look at the unity expressed. Expressed means live out loud, right? What do we do with that unity that God gives us? Unity is a gift from God through the Holy Spirit who indwells us, and we should embrace it. And and if it is established and embraced by God's people, His church, brothers and sisters in Christ, then we'll be able to express that unity to the world in which we live. We can show them what it means to be a child of God and what it means to live our faith out loud. Listen, I know it's easy sometimes to read the Bible and go, oh, that was in the book of Acts. Oh, that was how many ever thousand years ago? Oh, that was Peter and Paul and John and, you know, the disciples. But I'm just going to tell you something. The Bible tells me that God's the same. He was the same yesterday, He's the same day, and He'll be the same tomorrow. Always. God's the same. 
And so I'm going to tell you, we're no different today, church. We are no different today. What God did in the early church, I believe God can and is still doing today. I'm going to tell you something. If God wants to shake this place right now, he can. He can. I wonder if we have the faith to believe it. I wonder. See, I, I believe this passage, what it teaches me, I believe what it teaches us is that we need to remember who we are. We need to remember who we are. We need to remember why we are. What did Jesus tell them at the beginning of this, uh, the, the beginning of this book, the book of Acts? I'll tell you what he says. We are witnesses. Isn't that what he told his apostles? You will be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So no matter where you are, in the hills of Nashville, running a marathon, <laughs> at work tomorrow morning, when things ain't going your way, when it gets too busy, right? When physically you begin to feel sick, when the relationship gets a little rocky, don't ever forget who you are and why you are. You are a witness of the risen Savior. We, the body of Christ, are witnesses of the risen Savior and we are brought together for His glory. You and I were not created to live this life alone. You and I were not created to face these challenges alone. We were created to be together. And we were brought together by God. And we were filled with the same Spirit. And we, are, we should embrace that unity and then express that unity to our world. On Friday evening, I was interviewed by St. Jude. They wanted to know why I was a fundraiser. They wanted to know why I ran. And, and they asked me what I did. I told them I'm a pastor. And they said, well, you come across as someone who's very mission-minded. I said, well, read the Bible. That's who we are. We help people that can't help themselves. We reach out and love people who don't feel loved. When somebody's hurting, if God enables us and empowers us to help them, we do. And the whole time I had you on my mind. The whole time. Because I told that lady that was interviewing me, I said, you have no clue. I wish I could pull my phone out and show you the text messages. I wish I could show you the emails. I wish I could show you all the people that love me and are praying for me. To just do my best. It's just a little run, right? It's not a world-shaking event. This is not something that... You might say, oh, this is not something that's a big deal. See, that little thing, that little thing to know that I had people with me and for me, right? I was able to praise God for it. And I was able to point others to Him because of it. So whatever challenge you face, right? It's not a private challenge. It's not. It doesn't have to be. Trust God. Trust the people that God has brought alongside of you to walk with you, to encourage you. Embrace the unity of the Holy Spirit and know that you're not alone. You're not alone. So many people, even in this building right now, so many people feeling alone, feeling like they got nobody, feeling like they can't trust nobody. You can count on God. You can count on God. I'm going to tell you something else. You can count on God to bring people around you. Yeah. Bring people around you who can help you make it through that challenge you face. Because God is bigger. 
And God's church was created to do extraordinary things. Ordinary men and women. Ordinary boys and girls. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Why? Because of an extraordinary God who brought them together through the power of the Holy Spirit. Unity embraced. Unity established. That's what we see today. You better get ready because next week we're going to see some expressions of that unity. What God can do when we live it out loud.